What up, what up? Welcome back to the There's More podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Nitz, the one who never stops talking about the more. Truly. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to talk about. Uh, you know the drill. I grew up in the church. I grew up in the Christian school, the Christian circle, the Christian everything. Have loved God and Jesus my whole life. Um, but I kind of felt like once I knew the story of the gospel and knew some of the basics of the Bible, like I had this on lockdown and now it was my job to just tell other people about it, having no idea that there was so much more for me, for you. Like this relationship with God has unending depths and goodness and delight for us. And it's amazing. So I love talking to the person who's a believer and maybe has been a believer their whole life and invite them to more, to more in their relationship with God, to their time with him, to their pursuit of him. It is truly the relationship that we were made for. And even in the midst of hard, it is the greatest delight of life. So today I am talking about this word that jumped out to me. And ever since I started reading about it, I see it everywhere. Isn't that weird? Because it's an old Hebrew word. It's shalom. So uh, let's get this party going and <laughs> learn more about shalom today. So glad you're here. Let's go. In the last three years, as God has really oh man, opened my eyes to more, invited me to more, revealed himself more. I would say one of the big changes and big transitions that I've learned and had to wrestle with and walk through is how much in my Christian life I have always viewed bigger as better. I've always viewed um, something having a bigger impact as better. Something that attracts more unbelievers, this must be better. Something that uh, has a larger audience ripple effect, this is clearly where God's working. And I've shared before that that really turned me into this um, <laughs> like radical chasing Christian, which doesn't sound like a bad thing. Like when you listen to a church service or are reading through scripture or are reading a great book. If you are stirred to do radical things for God, that's awesome. That's beautiful. However, I became so attracted to that, that the everyday things in life felt so different from my relationship with God. So for me, that looked like when I was helping run Christian conferences, when I was working for Christian ministries, when I was uh, leading a Bible study with people who didn't know God, those things were the most important. And then not as important, but just things you have to do. It's like, you know, the grocery shopping, the spending time with your family, the um, running errands with your kids or exchanging the Adidas shoes you bought that are a size nine and a half, which you thought would fit you. And somehow they're too big, which doesn't make sense because sometimes I wear size 10. How are these two? How are these too big? Those things are not as important as the spiritual activity in my life, right? I mean, that's how I'd always felt. That's um, 
I don't know. That's just how I viewed what mattered to God and what should matter to me is there was these things that were obviously more important and less important when it came to my walk with God and my life with God. So a part of the more that really (laughs) blew my world up was right at the beginning of um, this journey three years ago for me. I hate using the word journey, but it's the only word I can think of was a book that I've talked about, this tiny itsy bitsy book that's like 67 pages and there aren't even full pages. The book is like the size of my hand and it's called A Theology of the Ordinary. And essentially the argument in this book is that our everyday ordinary life is just as important as those spiritual things. So she reads the version of the message in Romans 12 Um, take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Now, would I have agreed with that? Like on a true or false test? Yeah, I think I would have. (laughs) But was I living as if that's true? Was my internal belief that these like everyday average normal things were just as important as what I felt were these like spiritual things in my life? No, absolutely not. Um, absolutely not. And she talks about that even in this book, this idea of like an extraordinary Christian versus an ordinary Christian. The extraordinary Christian is one who is fueled by their personal spiritual experience And often sees this as opposed to everyday Christians found in the church. Hello, my name is Hannah and this was me. (laughs) Always on the mission to be an extraordinary Christian. And uh, before reading this book, I just didn't see the downside. Like, I didn't see how that could be bad. Man, and then there's this quote from the book Ordinary, Michael Horton. He says, my concern is that the activist impulse that the heart of many evangelicals have puts an enormous burden on people to do big things when what we need right now the most is to do ordinary things better. We can miss God in the daily stuff looking for the extraordinary moment outside of his word and conversation with him in daily prayer family worship, and especially the public gathering of saints every weekend. If we were more serious about these ordinary means of grace, I'm convinced the church would have a much stronger witness in the world today. Word to Yamada. Ah, man. This idea of this ordinary life that pleases God, this ordinary life that sets us on the road to fulfill the Great Commission in a way that isn't done through these huge like radical things, but my everyday life. Okay. So this whole idea is something I could talk about forever because honestly, for three years, this has felt like the backdrop in my mind and in my thoughts and in my conversation. And the more that I get to know God and I'm spending time with him, it's like this question. It's like, I haven't, (laughs) I haven't mastered it. Shocking. It's like God has to remind me of this and teach me this every, I'm going to say, four to five months. Like, I'll find myself back in this place where I'm like, oh, man, God, like, 
my days are really just filled with taking care of my two little kids and helping my husband and spending time with my parents. And it just is like, can, does any of this matter? Like, I feel like I'm not doing anything that important, you know? And it's like over and over and over again, God has to remind me that this like everyday ordinary life is not only like good, but important. So this idea that closeness to Christ is found in our very ordinary physical existence, not by leaving it behind for this radical, extraordinary stuff. Okay, so as this has been this background music, background question, background wrestling for me, I think in all things I'm reading and learning, I ran across a word recently that helped me put another level to this conversation. And it was as I was reading through the book of Psalms. Psalms is a book that I love going to pretty much any day. <laughs> you can find me in the book of Psalms. Um, okay, so for example, right now I'm reading the book of Esther and I'm trying to read it and like study it. I've never read the book of Esther. I know the story. I've heard, I'm sure, a sermon or two from it, but I've never on my own picked up my Bible flip to the Old Testament and read the book of Esther. So I'm doing that. I'm studying it. I have my um, Simply Bible study out and I'm doing this deep study in Esther. Well, sometimes when my time with God is shorter um, or just recently, I would say I'm going through some really hard health transitions with my dad and just feeling honestly really, really sad about it a lot of days. And sometimes when I go to sit with God, it's hard for me to want to get out my highlighter and my um, study Bible <laughs> and like dive into the book of Esther because I'm just sad and tired. And no matter how I'm feeling, the book of Psalms will always be a winner. Uh, I love it because you can just sit with one verse or one chapter. And this is something that I feel like God has been teaching me, even with my time with him, is slow and small. Like one verse, read it 10 times, 50 times, pray about it, think about it, cry with God about it, like slow as opposed to this, you know, got to study this whole book of the Bible. Okay, so here we go. So I'm having one of these days. I actually was on vacation. Isn't that fun? I was in Florida with my husband and our two kids. And um, it's just been a hard few months. And I'm sitting in, in the book of Psalms. And I, I'm in Psalm 35. And I get to this verse, Psalm 35, 27. And it says, Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant." So the word welfare kind of caught me off guard a tad, uh, that God delights in the welfare of his servant. I don't know why this word felt weird to me. I was like, you delight in my welfare. Okay, that's not a, a super spiritual word. I feel like I've heard a lot, my welfare. And quite honestly, I'm not feeling a lot of welfare right now, God. <laughs> like, I'm walking through hard things in my marriage. I'm uh, watching my dad um, just not do well. I'm caring for two young kids, which is hard, you know, it's hard work. 
And my day to day, I'm not going to say like, man, my welfare is just blooming right now, you know? So if God delights in it, what does that mean? And why don't I feel like I have it? And, and what is this word all about? So this is where I, this is where the adventure begins, people. Like as we read God's word, being curious, asking questions, pushing in and not just accepting like, okay, he delights in my welfare. Cool. Moving on. Actually saying like, God, what's up with that? What does this mean? What does this word mean? What does this idea of you delighting in my welfare mean? All right, guys, you ready for this wild, wild, wild run? Okay, so I opened my Blue Letter Bible app, an app that everyone who's listening to my voice right now should have on their phone because it just will light up God's word. When you click on any word in the Bible that you're reading and can read it in the original Hebrew in the Old Testament or Greek in the New Testament, game changer. So I click on this word, welfare. What's up with this, God? And since the book of Psalms is in the Old Testament, it's in Hebrew. And it is the word shalom. Can you believe this? I'm sure you've heard this word before, right? Um, I literally went to <laughs> Coco Melon live with my son this week. <laughs> so I was in a um, the Akron Civic Theater packed with hundreds. Their capacity there is like 2,600. I don't know how many seats were sold, but it was pretty, pretty full. Um, with a bunch of two, three and four year olds all up past their bedtime. It was chaos, but it was amazing. Harvey and I loved it. I sang every song with them. We were dancing. It was awesome. The very first song that Coco Melon sings as they're all up on stage is hello. The song saying hello to everyone and saying it in different languages. And the word shalom was up on the screen. They were like in Hebrew, it's shalom. And I just felt so happy because I was like, God, you're so funny. I'm literally learning about this word now. Okay. So, yes, this is used as a greeting in Hebrew, shalom, which I learned from my friend Robin. Essentially, what what this greeting is saying is, how is your shalom? Shalom to you. Okay. So the word shalom, which, again, is translated to welfare here in verse 27, means completeness soundness, welfare, peace. So it's like safety and soundness in body, your welfare, your health, your prosperity, peace in relationships, peace internally, peace with God, peace as an adjective, tranquility, contentment. This is a lot of words to define one tiny word. That God's shalom is this idea, what this verse is saying, our welfare, our completeness. And again, remember what this verse says, that God delights in the welfare of his servant, of the shalom of his servant, of the shalom of me and you, that he delights in it. Okay, so this just really took me down a whole hole because I was like, man, This is a beautiful word. And the idea that God delights in this for me feels kind of mind blowing to me because going back to the beginning of this conversation, some of these words don't feel super spiritual. So it's not like God delights in my righteousness and God delights in me knowing him and God delights in my sanctification. 
it feels like, listen to them again. It feels like everyday ordinary words. My health, my prosperity, my peace, my completeness. I don't know about you. It just felt, it just intrigued me. Okay. So then I started to read through um, everywhere in the book of Psalms where the word shalom is used. And you can do this too, my friend. Remember that Blue Letter Bible app, when you click on a word in the Hebrew, you can see everywhere in the Bible where it's used. Is this not so cool? Um, My friend Carmen says it's like the Bible helping you understand the Bible, which is just, it's like inception. It's amazing. So I started reading through every place in the book of Psalms where the word shalom is used. Again, this is what, what God delights in for us. Remember, our completeness, our safety, our peace, our welfare, our prosperity. So let me hit you with a few of these, a few of these verses. Okay. Psalm 4, 8. In Shalom, I both lie down and sleep for you alone. Make me dwell in safety. Okay. Awesome. So in God's peace, in this wholeness, in this prosperity, I'm literally able to lie down and sleep like his overwhelming peace for you alone. Make me dwell in safety. Word to your mother. So this shalom isn't only like this uh, overwhelming thing day to day, but it also is literally talking about that we sleep with this peace. Um, man, Psalm twenty nine eleven. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with shalom. Wow. Okay. So this is a blessing. This is something that God blesses people with. Psalm 34, 14, turn away from evil and do good. Seek shalom and pursue it. Huh? So man, this isn't just something that God blesses us with, but it's actually something that he asks us to pursue something to seek. Like this is something on our, on our wish list, on our map of where we're headed, like to seek it, to pursue it, to turn away from things that don't bring it. Woo. Um, Psalm 55, 18, he redeems my soul in Shalom from the battle that I wage for many are against me, man. The hits keep coming. Psalm 85 verses eight through 10. Let me hear what God, the Lord will, will speak for. He will speak Shalom to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and shalom kiss each other. Okay, what? So this shalom, this wholeness and prosperity and this everyday ordinary life and righteousness kiss each other? That God speaks this to his people? What? Okay, Psalm 119, 165, great shalom. Have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. So this shalom and this wholeness comes as we love God and love his word and love his law so much so that nothing can make them stumble. Guys, that's a big word. Nothing. Not just not the hard things. Nothing. Man. So, uh. There's more. There's so many more verses. And as I began on this, this wild chase of trying to figure out this word and what this means and why God delights in my shalom, uh, I texted my friend, Kyle, who is my husband's best friend since like second grade. 
we have so many adorable pictures of these two together as seven-year-olds. They, in elementary school, sat in alphabetical order, and Kyle's last name is Mains, starts with an M. Caleb's last name is Nitz, starts with an N. So they sat together all of elementary school, and now, how old are they? 35? Still, still kicking it together. Kyle has the word shalom tattooed on him, which, quite honestly, I never thought anything about. Like, if you have grown up in Christian circles, you could name a couple friends who have, like, Hebrew or Greek words tattooed on them or Bible verses tattooed on them. Like, it's, I don't know. (laughs) I feel like in this culture, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. We've done this before. I've seen it. I've never thought twice about it. But then, all of a sudden, as I'm studying the word shalom, and this is starting to blow my mind, I text Kyle because I say to Caleb, oh, man, Kyle has this tattooed on him. Like he must really think a lot about this word shalom. So we had this amazing conversation. Just I mean, it was short. It was texting. I'm not trying to make it sound better than it was. We texted about it. okay? And um, Kyle said how much this word has meant to him and how big of a deal it is in his relationship with God. And then he said a verse that I think really summarizes Shalom is in Colossians 1. So I look up this verse that he sends me, which is Colossians 1, uh, 19 through 20. And it's talking about Jesus, who Jesus is. And it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Reconcile to himself. That sounds like peace, doesn't it? Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Like Jesus was literally this picture of shalom, of bringing this fullness. Do you see that word? Fullness of God. Remember, that's the definition of shalom, the fullness. And then it says that he was making peace by the blood of his cross. So this very word that God in the Old Testament delights in for his people asks them to pursue, blesses them with, of this completeness and this safety and this welfare, he then literally gives us this picture of in our relationship with Jesus and how Jesus interacts with those around him, bringing fullness, bringing peace, bringing wholeness. And then all of a sudden, when you start to think about this, it puts so many different verses in a different picture. So a classic one that we would have heard is, you know, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, where it's telling us not to be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, the shalom, which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and guard your mind in Jesus. Okay, okay. So when we hear this verse, I think I've heard it a lot of times as this commandment. Like, don't be anxious. Anxiety is a sin. Don't be, don't worry. Just trust with like a little thumbs up smiley emoji. Like, y'all got this. Don't worry. But all of a sudden, as I read about shalom and this goodness that God shares with us and delights in us, It's like, man, this isn't don't be anxious, like shame on you, point your finger. It's literally an invitation in this verse to taste God's shalom. And as we're overwhelmed by his peace, by his fullness, by the welfare that he gives us, there is literally no room to be anxious. 
Okay, now, as we think about that and get excited about that, uh, I want to remind us that this doesn't mean, like, life is good and chill and in complete happiness, like, we good, bro. We got shalom. <laughs> um, the beauty of shalom is in the midst of hard, uh, in the midst of trial, in the midst of ordinary, in the midst of caring for kids, working uh, diligently with your job, and trying to stay connected with people you love and care for, that God shalom is with us and he delights in it. And I want to go back to this very ordinary stuff. When he delights in the shalom of his servant, the thing that keeps jumping out to me about these words is how internal it is. Think about it. Think about your safety and your welfare Think about peace internally and peace in relationships. Think about contentment. These are qualities. These are characteristics. These are feelings of your of the heart. These very, um, like secret things that you know, like you know how your contentment feels right now, friend. You know how your peace feels right now. Your neighbor might not know. Your friends might not know, but you do. And the fact that as God sees us, this is what he cares for. This is what he uh, delights in for us is beautiful. It reminds me of this psalm I just read, uh, Psalm 51. You delight. Here's that word again. Isn't this cool? God delights in so much about us. You delight in the truth in my inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And these are words that really come to mind for me with the shalom that God offers me, blesses me with, asks me to pursue, is that it's this wisdom in my secret heart and truth in my inward being. Man, and isn't that such a beautiful picture of intimacy? It's this secret thing between you and God. And yes, it overflows into so many things in your life. But the shalom that he gives us and blesses us with and delights us in is this beautiful heart secret that he you get to experience with God. One of the things that um, has been beautiful for me with this, again, as I say, it's been hard months in my home. And... Uh, you, you know, you know that your parents are going to die before you. Most of us, that's true. But you just don't expect to see it or like watch like the deterioration of it, you know? And it's like, man, God, I can sit in sadness and struggle and grief and your shalom is there with me. Like this this wholeness and this goodness that you delight in with me and desire to give me, it can still be there in these hard things. Man, another uh, Hebrew word that killed me recently was in Psalm 50. I was reading and it, it's uh, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. This is another one of those words that I saw the word deliver. And I thought, you know what, God, I don't really feel delivered right now. Like things feel hard and 
it's like I don't see this ending anytime soon and I'm kind of struggling with some of this stuff. You know, what does it mean that you're going to deliver me? So I look up this word delivered because I'm like, okay, God, does this mean all my sadness and trial and grief is going to end soon because you're going to deliver me? And it's the Hebrew word halas, H-A-L-A-S, which means to remove, to draw out, to withdraw. Again, all things that I'm looking forward to, like being withdrawn from my trials, being um, removed from my sadness. But then I continue to read the definition to equip for war or to arm for war. (laughs) Guys, do you know what it says that God is going to deliver us? That same word can mean to draw out and it can also mean to equip for war. Doesn't sound like I'm getting out of this. (laughs) It sounds like him delivering is actually him strengthening us for this war ahead. And um, I just thought of that with this shalom. Like, I th- I picture shalom as being a piece of that deliverance, of this arming me for war. Um, Like, this shalom is something he places inside of me that literally equips me so that he is able to deliver me. And by the way, isn't this verse beautiful that I just read and I called to you on my day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. That's the end of the story. And it's the beautiful one is in this shalom, this goodness that he gives us, this wholeness, this peace, this prosperity, this welfare. At the end of the day, it ends in us glorifying God, this like internal beauty This everyday ordinary life that we walk in with his shalom ends in his glory. And we get to be a part of it. It's beautiful. And I say that through tears. (laughs) And I say that through really hard days. Um, But man, that my ordinary everyday life, God's with me in it. He sees me in it. And he delights in my shalom in it. Thank you, God. I'll be honest that doing a like 30 minute episode on the word shalom almost feels irresponsible because shalom is something we could talk about um, forever. (laughs) Like literally, I think I could have a whole podcast called Shalom and every week have a new episode on shalom. Although for my loyal listeners, you know that I'm not exactly consistent on posting. So I wouldn't (laughs) I wouldn't do great on that. However, this idea of shalom is oh, man. It's huge and it's everywhere and it's beautiful and I want you to learn more about it. So I hope that you will pick up your Bible, uh, pick up the Blue Letter Bible app, see where else in scripture the word shalom is used and ask God to begin to teach you more about shalom in your life, shalom in your relationship with God and why he delights in it for you. Man, I was talking to uh, someone recently about this word shalom and they even talked about the Hebrew spelling of the word shalom how the letter that starts the word shalom and the letter that ends the word shalom, one literally represents fire and one is water. And how even within the word shalom, this picture of fire and water being together is a picture of this peace. That in like these two completely opposite things sitting in harmony together, This is a picture of shalom that God even hid within the spelling and the word of shalom. 
y'all, that's what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> there is so much more to talk about with this. But I hope that today at least just, like, sparked your interest. And, yeah, maybe even today you begin to ask God more about this for you, dear friend. So thank you for listening to the There's More podcast. I just want you to know it. I want you to taste it. Friends, it is the best news that for you, there is more.